our, our reading this evening is taken from John's Gospel and chapter 21, beginning at verse 1. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we will go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realise it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did this, they, went, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he'd taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there, with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Amen. Well, it's really nice uh, to be here, and thank you for the really kind offer. A um, couple of things I was supposed to say uh, during the interview, and I know I'll get into serious trouble uh, for not saying them, that is that one of the things that uh, EA in Scotland run is, is something called a public leader programme. And it's, it's essentially a year-long programme for those between 25 and 35 who feel that God has specifically called them into a particular area of work, uh, but not full-time work in the church. So one of the seven pillars of culture kind of uh, work. And we, we give people a mentor, 
we uh, take them to the, uh, the Scottish Parliament to meet Christians who work in politics. We take them to the BBC to meet uh, Christians who work in media. We take them uh, to meet Christians in the law. And, uh, and we take them up to Ross County Football uh, Club. And you may think, is that a punishment? Or what, uh, what, uh, what is that? But uh, actually, we take them to, to see uh, how uh, Roy McGregor, the kind of um, chairman of Ross County, who, who's a member of the Free Church of Scotland, has tried to build a kind of all-day, every-day kind of um, outreach place. Uh, for all sorts of age groups from right across the highlands from this place, trying to use biblical ethics in what he what he does. So we kind of, we, we do all that and do three or four weekends away in the year as well. And this is a time when um, applications for that are now open. And the reason I'm saying that is when I go back into the office on Tuesday, the first thing people will say is, did you remember to tell people about the public leader course? And the second thing I'll be told about is when next time I meet uh, Gavin Calver, uh, who's my boss, he'll say, did you let people know that they can actually join EA as individuals if, if they haven't already joined it? And I'm not going to make any big sell at all. You find it on the website and you can see membership and all the details and what it is. But if Gavin is ever here... If you say to him, Fred really, really pushed EA membership. He, he didn't let us out the door until we all took um, membership forms away. Uh, that would be great. I just want to do one or two uh, things really simply, I, I, I hope, tonight. Um, one is, is to guide us to a place where we feel our hearts are open to take the sacraments and to meet with the Lord Jesus, who is our all-sufficiency. Um, and secondly, I want us, I hope, to be able to reflect upon how wonderful Jesus has been in our lives. Um, because it does, it does seem to me, um, I was speaking this morning, and I, I was talking about a rhythm of life that includes Sabbath. Um, and I was talking about Christians uh, across the Western world who are into a, a mentality of, of rush the whole time and desire to achieve and then achieve more and then we've achieved more to achieve more and then and so on and so on in the same way as, um, you know, when you've got an iPhone, as soon as a new iPhone out, you want it. And then once you get it, as soon as a new one comes out, you want it. And, and that's the way kind of life goes. And it's a kind of super highway life um, where you feel as though you're spinning plates all the time. Um, but where is the time to stop and ponder? Where is the time just to step back and reflect upon what has God done in your life? How has God brought you to this point? How many times has God absolutely rescued you from the kind of shambles and despair that you've found yourself in? And how beautiful and wonderful is Jesus? And so uh, my, my hope and prayer as I was kind of uh, thinking about this through the week actually was just... Um, how do we get a bigger vision of the love of Jesus?
And so that's, I hope, where we're going to go just almost by walking through a passage that we all know really well. And I'm pretty sure I'm not going to say anything that you don't already know. Um, and that's, and I'm totally okay with that. Um, before we move into the passage, and, and I, I hope I hope this is okay. I should have asked you first, Abby. So f- forgive me for this. Um, I have a, I have a, a close friend called Des Johnson, um, and uh, I, I've kind of mentored uh, Des for for some years. And Des was the director of Alpha Scotland. So some of you may have come across. Uh, days he he looks like the least likely person to be a director of Alpha Scotland that that I've ever met. Um, if you don't know what what I'm talking about, then just kind of Google Days Johnson and and see a picture of him. Uh, Days and Fee have got three uh, young children. Um, just I think the oldest is eight, and Fee Days's wife, probably about two years ago, uh, was diagnosed with cancer, and. Last year was given the all clear, and we all kind of uh, greatly celebrated. There's a lot of celebration in the church. Unfortunately, we heard uh, at the end of last week that uh, cancer has come back uh, to Fee. Uh, she has various uh, tumours in, in different organs of her body. And so uh, many of Des's kind of prayer supporters have said that wherever they're going, uh, over the weekend, they will they will pray for Des uh, and for Fee, um, but also it, it struck me when I thought about doing that of the weekend that I'm convinced there will be people in this room who are carrying burdens for other people, who are kind of wrestling with things not for themselves but for others. Um, so I'm going to pray, um, but I'm going to leave space just in silence for you to to reflect and bring your own silent prayers for other people that God has placed on your heart. So let's just pray together. Almighty and everlasting God, God of faithfulness and goodness, eternal and all-powerful God, we come to you through the work of Jesus, our Saviour, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Lord, we uh, pray for Des and for Fee and for their family and ask for your presence to be with them. Sustain them in this time of struggle and question. We ask for a close and deep sense of your presence with them. And we dare to pray for healing for fee, God. Might you do the miraculous. Might you supernaturally uh, touch her life. And might you also use the gifts of doctors, consultants and others as they work with her in the days that come. And Lord, many of us carry burdens for other people family members, friends, people who are going through challenges, doubts, unexpected difficulties, some who are weighed down with sorrow. And so just for a few seconds of silence, we remember them and bring them before you.
O God, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're just going to quickly look through the, the uh, passage almost verse by verse and just give a, a few reflections, I hope, as, as we're kind of going through it. Um, when I was doing what kind of follower, um, so um, I started doing some stuff um, around a mission and what the church might look like if it was based more on an Acts chapter 2 model. Uh, than it was on the models of today. So what would church look like if there was no paid staff and no kind of buildings and uh, and all sorts of questions like that? And I, I did some material and then did some questions around it, which, which you know, a lot of churches used at the time. And until one or two people on social media said, that's a great idea of how the church would look, but what are the sort of people that actually make a church like that? Um, work, you know, people who sell what they've got to give to the poor, um, people who have 24-hour hospitality, all that kind of radical stuff. Um, so I looked at um, discipleship and, and following and followers, and I, I, I did kind of travel around the country and spoke at small groups and church groups and youth groups and all sorts of groups of new Christians and asked them, what are the biggest challenges today of following Jesus? in the UK. One of the ones, one of the, the things that came up most was restoration. So that wasn't the word people used. The word people used was, I'm not sure Jesus can still love me if I make a total disaster of it. Um, that's not the words they used either, but uh, if, if everything goes wrong, if I fall into temptation, if I make a total mess of it, I know that I know the church has pretty strong rules on stuff. That's the the way people view the church. Um, and if I don't meet them, where do I go from that? I don't believe there's any way back from that. Um, restoration. Right. At the same time as I was I was doing this. Um, just after COVID, I'd had to shield during, during COVID. So I was a year without having anybody in the house or family outside of, uh, apart from in the back garden, all that sort of stuff. So um, I did a lot of reading and a lot of writing and a lot of watching TV, right? Uh, and most of it, nonsense, right? But I found this programme called Junk and Disorderly. don't know if anybody's ever seen Junk and Disorderly. Right. But junk, I won't ask you to put your hands up because, you know, it might, might be a hand of shame or something like that. It's, not, like, it's these two guys who go around people's uh, garages and they look for old wrecked motorbikes. And then they kind of take them back and bit by bit they restore them to the way they would have been when they first came off the conveyor belt. And so they'll take some like a 1930s kind of old triumph that's never been ridden for 20 years. And it's all kind of rusty. And bit by bit, they will re-beautify it and make it the way the creator of it always wanted it to be. And it is so time-consuming, but they had a passion for it. And they kind of absolutely loved it. And they would spend as long as it took and they would track down the parts and the right paintwork and everything to make this the way it was always intended to be. 
And I, I began to think, isn't that what Jesus does? He takes up kind of messed up, rusty, broken um, you and me's and looks at us and thinks, I'm going to restore them to the way the creator always envisaged them. Bit by bit, I'm going to re-beautify them. I'm going to restore them and renew them so that they're what God always intended them to be. And it's going to be painstaking and painful and frustrating beyond belief. But I'm keep going to do it until you or I are restored. Because God is in the business of making us more like Jesus. And for some of us, obviously, that's a big, big stretch. And for some of us, we're closer. Uh, but we're not going to say that in this kind of uh, gathering. But some of us are closer than others here. Um, but Jesus is in the work of doing that. And at the heart of this story of John 21, I believe you see the patient, gracious, beautifying of somebody who is broken and questioning and uncertain and feeling as though they have no longer any place in what Jesus' plan was for them. They had messed up so much, they were out of the equation now. After Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee, it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas named Didymus, Nathaniel from Canaan Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. So if I count that up, seven disciples uh, kind of turned up. I'm going out to fish. So my first question really that comes to me is why? Why are you going out to fish? You've just seen or had a resurrection appearance of Jesus. You've just seen the greatest miracle of all time. and, And you decide to go fishing. I think Peter just thought, I need to do something that I'm familiar with. I need to go back to doing the old stuff. I need to believe that the old, the normal, the usual can still happen in the light of what has already happened. Some people like Tom Wright will say, actually, they probably just needed money and they needed food and that's it way in which they knew how to make a living. So they went back to make a living. But whatever it is, what they did was what was normal to them. Um, But they did it slightly differently because they did it knowing that Jesus was alive. That the resurrection had happened. That something had changed. Sometimes when we encounter Jesus, we expect everything, in a sense, to radically alter. But sometimes Jesus just calls us to keep on doing what we were doing. The ordinary, the unspectacular, the things in which we've always been doing, whatever it is, chatting to our neighbours, going into a workplace, but doing it in the light of the resurrection. It's different, but it's the same. And I think that's what they're doing. 
some of us suddenly want to get a kind of lightning bolt, go to somewhere in the world to serve, or go to St Andrews University, which I'm sure is a great university to go to, especially the theological department. Uh, um, <laughs> but sometimes God just says, just keep doing what you are doing. This is what you're called to do. Just do it in the light of the resurrection. Just be what you were always meant to be where I've placed you. Just be the most loving person in your street. Just be the most understanding person in your workplace. Just be the person who's willing to pray no matter what and no matter with who. Just be the best teacher you possibly can be or the best joiner or the best plumber or whatever it happens to be. Just do it, but do it in the light of the resurrection. Because I think the kingdom advances through the small steps of this supernaturally orientated ordinary. It's the ordinary. And sometimes in church we, we've become uh, too expectant and waiting upon the superstars to make things happen. And God, in that sense, is not interested in reputation. He's interested in faithfulness in faithfulness. So they, they kind of go fishing. Um, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but not that night they caught nothing. Not the world's best fishermen, then, you would think. I wonder if, if they remembered Luke chapter 5 at that point, verses 4 to 7, when, when they come in having been fishing all night and, and, and the language is exactly the same and they caught nothing. And then suddenly Jesus goes to them and, uh, and tells them to put their nets on the other side. And suddenly they catch a whole host of fish. You see, there's something in this story that almost every bit you read, there is a reminder <coughs> for Peter and the disciples of things that have already happened. It's almost as if Jesus taking all of this as an acted out biography of their time together. And with each bit, he's reminding them of how he has been able in the past when they have doubted. And so they caught nothing. And then Jesus calls out to them early in the morning. At dawn, Jesus stood on the shore the mark of a new day, a new season, a new time. Jesus is right there amongst them. But the disciples did not realise that it was Jesus. Maybe it was hazy. Maybe they weren't expecting to see him. Uh, who knows? But they, they didn't recognise him. He called out to them, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your nets on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Maybe a clue to the identity of the person who's speaking to them. You would, you would hope they kind of got it um, at that point. Um, when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple, um, whom Jesus loved, John, said to Peter, It's the Lord. 
as soon as Simon Peter heard this, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garments around him for he'd taken it off and jumped into the water. Now I always picture this as a kind of funny incident. I don't know if you can picture it. I don't know if you, you kind of see the things in pictures. But, but they're really struggling. Right? There's seven of them, and there is a huge net full of fish. And suddenly there's six of them. Because Peter is off. Like, he's out of the boat, he's in the water, he's kind of running, swimming. And I can picture the other disciples saying, Where are you going? Typical Peter, I think, is what they might have said. Running off at the first sign of hard work. And, and he's, he's kind of gone. But sometimes a desire to meet with Jesus overwhelms everything else, doesn't it? Sometimes in life, no matter where we are, what we're doing, no matter what we think is good, sometimes in our heart of hearts we know there is something better. I just need to get close to Jesus. Everything else can wait. I just need to get closer to Jesus. Jesus is everything. If I could just get closer to Jesus, things will look differently, be different. And I think suddenly Peter actually forgot. He forgot the boat, he forgot the fish, he forgot everything because the greatest desire in his heart was to get closer to Jesus. Maybe he wanted to speak to Jesus first. Maybe he wanted time alone with Jesus to explain how broken he was. But whatever the motivation, the desire was to get to Jesus. I search my own heart and, and I ask you as we come to the communion table, how desperate are you to get closer to Jesus? Have you settled would you still be in the boat? Are you weighed down with the practicalities and you think, oh, do you know what? Um, in 20 minutes we'll be on the beach anyway. <laughs> then I'll see him. There's other things still to be done. Or do you come tonight and, and you come thinking, I just need to meet with Jesus. That, that's the desire of my heart. That's the longing. That's what I'm waiting on. That's what I need be, before anything else. I just need to be closer to Jesus. Or have you got to the stage that um, some of my research it showed where uh, Christians, once they'd been Christians for quite a while, reckoned they actually couldn't get any closer to Jesus. They already knew it all, had been it all, had seen it all, had got to a place, a, a plateau of faith where everything kind of worked. And actually, when you delved a little bit deeper, one or two would say, maybe if we got closer to Jesus, things would just get messed up. Getting close to Jesus can be a risky thing to do, can't it? Um, and so they, they kind of are happy where they are in their level of relationship. My question would be not whether they would be happy with the level of relationship, but is Jesus Jesus. So when we've come out tonight, when we're going to take communion, are we coming to communion saying, I just need to meet with you afresh. 
I just need you to take these elements of bread and wine and by your spirit enable them to be a means of grace to me. I need to know that you are there and with me and for me. And so Peter kind of runs. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far out from the shore, maybe a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire burning uh, of burning coals there with fire on it and some bread. How did Peter feel coming up and seeing Jesus at a charcoal fire? You remember the story of John 18 and Jesus' first denial as the people gathered round a charcoal fire. Peter is asked, do you know him? It's almost as if the picture has been set where, where a retaking of where Peter had his biggest failure when his courage let him down. It's been played out on this beach before him. There is Jesus and there is the fire. And yet in the midst of it, Jesus welcomes him and sits with him and serves him. Serves him who the last time he was at a charcoal fire totally denied that he ever knew him. And here is Jesus going to him again in grace and mercy and offering him bread and offering him fish. And perhaps an interesting point that there's 153 fish in a net, but Jesus already has fish. He doesn't need anybody to bring anything. He is well able to supply what he wants to happen. And there round this fire with this amazing conversation that will take place and unfold in the rest of the chapter is a picture of restoration. Peter, last time you were at this fire, last time you spoke to somebody, your heart broke. Your self-confidence was shattered and you thought that we were finished forever. But I welcome you round a charcoal fire and I offer you bread and I offer you fish and I welcome you back. And that is at the heart of this story. It is the welcoming grace of Jesus to people who look at their lives and say, I'm a Peter. <laughs> I've failed. I've made mistakes. I've done things I probably shouldn't have done. I've said things I shouldn't have done. I've not been as passionate as I might have been. I've managed to get by in church because I know the culture and I know the language, but my heart hasn't been burning for a long time. And when I look inwardly at myself, I think, how can God really be interested? And yet God invites me not to a charcoal fire, but to a table. And doesn't offer us fish and bread, but offers us wine and bread. And says, come back, 
come back. Be restored. Find faith again. Find life again. Allow my grace to be sufficient for you. And open your heart again to my spirit. There's much more we could say on this passage and on the conversations that take place afterwards. I'd encourage you afresh just to read the rest of the interaction between Jesus and Peter and see the ways in which Peter is gently and wonderfully restored and then commissioned into things he really didn't want to do. Um, but let me pray and then hand back over to Abby. For all of us, Lord, who know that we have stepped aside, who know that the fire has not burned as brightly as it might, who know that we have been at a distance that we are uncomfortable with from you, who know that in some ways we have become Peters in our denial, Thank you that that is not the word written over us. The word written over us is restoration, grace, mercy. And we hear the words that your grace is sufficient for us. Nothing needs to be added. And so we thank you. And we open our hearts again to you and pray, Lord, for your healing, but that also you might reignite the fire of passion for you where it has grown dim. In Jesus' name. Amen.